Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Oh, a lot of reactions. Scotty Pippen audio and my reaction to Scotty's reaction. The Tech Zone brought to you by Roseland Hyundai Valgon. Can save time. Shop online at RoselandHyundai.com. Some point during the final hour here on this Friday edition, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. I'll come back around to that a little bit later on. But I've been here for a couple hours. I have yet to talk any Chicago Bears, which you all tend to get on my case about when I'm here for an extended period of time and I don't get a little football conversation in, but I've been saving it up. For the man who's joining me right now on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book, he is Kenneth Davis, the host of the Under Center podcast. And you can find him on Twitter at That's Davis. Ken, what's happening, man? What's going on, Ed? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Always a pleasure to hear your voice, whether it's My here too. or elsewhere. The Bears OTAs, what would you say going into it? What was one of the bigger questions that you had about things? And is, has there been much of an opportunity as they're kind of running around in helmets and shorts to, to get that question answered? No, there really hasn't. I guess mine would be who was there will kind of be a question. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, it's a big deal if, you know, like Nate Davis wasn't there on the first day. But I, I think that's the first thing you want to see. You want to see, first of all, when it comes to the passing game, how many balls hit the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like those are – some of the things, but even right now, let's just say, because there were several balls that hit the ground, you would hope, and I don't think it matters as much because it's still the beginning and these guys are just getting to work with each other. It's, it's only so much, you know, that you can kind of take away from OTAs. And I, we're all fiending for football, so we want to make much do about nothing for the most part. But just that, you know, most of the players are there. Um, the players that are that aren't healthy are getting better, and you know the Bears are usually mum about stuff like that. But those are the things that I'm probably concerned about the most. The where the offensive line lines up question that that was one I found in, intriguing going into this as well because Ryan Poles, who's been fairly forthright, you know, for the most part in the year plus that he's been the Bears GM, but he had hinted at Cody Whitehair getting some time at center. Wonder night. So is Cody Whitehair. How healthy or lack thereof is Lucas Patrick? And just just what the overall grouping would look like and who would line up where. What what are your impressions of of that aspect of just how the Bears O line has sort of laid out through practices? I I, I think I like it. You know, I, I think at this point Ryan Pose is being honest. I am a Ryan Pose fan. Um when he says that there's competition. Um, I think a lot of times there is. I, I felt like that they gave Braxton Jones leeway last year when you say that there's competition. Um, I, I love the fact that Tevin Jenkins is here in general because it always seems like there's a Tevin Jenkins issue with platooning him last year and him, for me, being your, your, your physically most dominant offensive lineman, even though I have to get on him. And I can't say get on him, but he's been injured. So that's really the only thing you can say from the outside looking in when it comes to Tevin Jenkins. I 
I like it. I was I was a Darnell Wright guy as far as talent at right tackle. At tackle, I I I, I kind of want the Bears to go left, but at tackle, I thought I thought he held on to his blocks the longest out of the top tackles in this this past this past draft. Um, Cody Whitehair Center. I mean, it's the only thing with Cody Whitehair Center is we all have to accept there's going to be a couple exchanges that we are going to have a crazy <laughs> look at. And I mean, it's just the truth, you know. But when it comes to blocking. Um, setting up, getting the guys in the right place. We all know that Cody can do that, but you're going to have about four to five a season where it's going to be on Justin's athleticism. And it, it already happened in OTAs where, you know, Cody's Cody, you know, but at least when you look at Lucas Patrick, I mean, we I can't even say I saw Lucas, Lucas Patrick at center, so let me take that back. But when you look <laughs> at him at guard, um, and it was underwhelming. Um, I'm happy. I'll say this much as far as Ryan Post. I'm happy, ego didn't get in the way of I brought Lucas Patrick in and at first we must force him into the center position because a lot of people want to prove themselves right. So if you're going to look at it and you could cut, you could have cut Cody because because of his money, but still he's a, a good lineman. So why cut him when you don't have enough linemen and you can move him to a position that he's played in the past and you can still t- keep Jenkins there and you can move him to perhaps the harder side. I'm, I'm I'm cool with it as long as Braxton Jones takes that next step. You know, like that's probably my my most concern right now. And then and they can't do anything about it. It's health because after that that starting five, it, they're really thin. Yeah, and that's where the the whether or not the Bears would cut Cody Whitehair for cap reasons or to save money. I, I never understood that narrative because the bears have zero need to save any they they got to find money to spend you know and it's right. not like Cody Whitehair is the highest paid guard in football Eddie Jackson isn't the highest paid safety in football anymore so i don't i don't necessarily see a lot of concern that should be there for cap casualties now does a guy fit where your organization is at at the moment that to me is what what's worthy of examination and that brings me to DeAndre Hopkins because so many of us last season wondered about the, the playmakers available to Justin Fields, and now we've seen this offseason. They've certainly added some talent, some playmakers. DJ Moore, proven number one commodity as a wide receiver. He's never been viewed in the same echelon at the peak of what DeAndre Hopkins has been at his peak in the NFL. Do you, do you think there's much likelihood the Bears would go after Hopkins now that he's on the street? I don't, to be honest with you. Um, And it it, kind of goes both ways. When you look at where DeAndre Hopkins is in his career, I think he would want to go to a contender unless someone overwhelms him financially. And I don't think that's going to be the Bears. I I think when Ryan Post talks about discipline, this is probably one of those times where he's going to be disciplined, not to say that they may not sniff around and see if there's any interest, but I don't think DeAndre Hopkins wants to come to a team. And I know as far as all the moves the Bears have made, some people still may not like to hear this, but a rebuilding team when there's teams on the precipice of making it to the Super Bowl, when you, you look at the Bills, um, when you, you look at – I can't say that the Chargers on a precipice of the Super Bowl because they haven't gone further enough, but when you look at the talent that they have at quarterback and that receiver, there's other teams that I think he would want to go to with a chance to actually win something because you got to go back and think about how many losing seasons he had one in Houston and then even with the Cardinals so I I think now I'm not saying he doesn't want to get his bread but I also think that he wants to have a, a, a kind of an opportunity to define his career so I don't know if he would want to come here but I don't think Ryan Poles wants to break the bank because that that's probably and you know Ant for being a former player that's probably 
the angle that you have to get to try to convince him that Justin Fields still developing is the quarterback that can take him to another level. You're going to have to probably convince him with that check. <laughs> Kenneth Davis, my guest here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. You can follow him on Twitter at That's Davis, the host of the Under Center podcast for NBC Sports Chicago. Is there a position, or I'll phrase it this way, what position on offense gives you the most concern as we sit here on May 26th? Mm. What position on offense gives me the most concern? You know, it, I hate to say it, it will probably still have to be the line. Okay. Um, I, and it will have to be the line. Because I'm not going to say Justin, because mm-hmm. he, it's still a question there with the mm-hmm. passing game. And I'm, I'm a Justin guy. But you're, you, you fortified the receiving core. Um, I think you've done well enough with the with the running back room. Um, I think Cole Komet is now ascending to the questions that we used to have on him. I think he's he's going to be a good player if he's not already a good player. I think he'll become a better player. I think Justin has the potential of being great. It's probably going to be who's it's who's behind your starting five on the offensive line because one of the things, even if you look at the Bears for the most part, how many times come out of camp? have all five starting offensive linemen actually been healthy. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just saying starting camp, a guy usually doesn't make it to the start of the season. And then we always know during the season, guys go down all the time. We've known for – last year was probably one of the more healthy years, but you go look at 2019 when they had to redo the line. Like every year there's been an issue. And I, I do think they have potentially a good starting five. But when you look at some of the guys like Leatherwood and Dieter and just the guys that they have behind those guys, and this is a name that a lot of people, you know, they hate it, but you don't have Sam Mustafer. And it's not that Sam Mustafer is a starter, but when you have a depth guy that can go from guard center guard, you may not have that guy, and he was at least proven. So I would probably still say it's the depth in the offensive line because here in Chicago and around the league, that unit usually suffers some injuries, at least two to three injuries, at least during the season. When you flip over to the defensive side, the still the, the lack of anticipated pass rush, you know, you bring in guys who've certainly been more productive than what was there closing out the season for the Bears last year, but there's no one who seems to be this shoe-in as far as bringing, like, legitimate sack production on the defensive front. What what are your what's your level of trepidation about the D line itself? Do you see some of these guys as potentially being still young and developing, and maybe the Bears can tap into that in a way that hasn't been at previous stops? I can't lie to you all. Um, that my trepidation is high. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the fact that your defensive backfield is one of your strongest units now. Um, you look at Tyreek Stevenson. You just look at it. They they've really overhauled a unit that prior to last year's draft was was really questionable. It was down there with the offensive line. Um, you redid the linebacking core. I don't know who's going to keep those offensive linemen off of those linebackers. Um, I look. Pickens, Javon Dexter, and, and Zach Pickens, they're young, so I can't necessarily put a lot on them. Uh, Billings and Walker, I think Walker may take, another, uh, may take another step, but at this point, none of these players are world beaters, and the guys that you have, Gibson and, and Dominic Robinson, none of them did anything last year. So, it, one, in looking at your position as a pro, there's, there was no real addition outside of Walker to the edge, and you need something. Like, so if you want to go with projects, as far as nose tackle slash three technique with, with Pickens and Dexter, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm here for that ride. 
but you need to have someone on the outside that can command a double team to kind of help those young men and the rest of the defensive line. So my trepidation is high to answer your question, Anthony. I was talking a bit earlier in the show about Cubs manager David Ross and the way that this season is just it, it's a different mode for him to, to operate in because it's the first time that, you know, nobody was really predicting Cubs to win the World Series this year. Nobody with any real sense. But there are some, some expectations that they should be competitive, should win games, you know, and, and the expectation was there for David Ross to be able to develop and take another step with this roster. I, I'm wondering if if we go into this season viewing Matt Eberflus in a similar fashion. What were your impressions of Matt Eberflus from last year? And how do you think that now this season with a little better roster, I mean, you know, it ain't the Eagles, but they, they got a little <laughs> better roster, a little bit more talent here. So do you think we'll view Matt Eberflus in a different light with just his game in, game out kind of situational management of things? That's a great one. Last season, um, I was pleased with the fact that outside of perhaps like the last game or so, those guys always balled out on a losing team. And it was like a losing team, clear and present. You know, like it, guys could have quit. And you didn't see a lot of quit in a team with a rookie head coach. And to me, I have to be honest, I think that spoke volumes. Um, listen, he's a defensive coach. And I think before last season started, we all believed that the defense was probably going to come along faster than the offense because he's a defensive coach and he should be able to install a system from top down, even if he's doing it from the CEO perspective, but not being necessarily the play caller uh, and managing the defensive coordinator. Um, I, I want this, the defense to take another step. I do believe the defense, particularly when you bring in those two linebackers, will take another step. Um, I, don't, I won't put them on the same level as Rossi from the point of – I guess where the Cubs had been prior to where they were at, you know what I'm saying? Like, even though we all knew that the window had closed on the Cubs, um, it's, it's still, I feel like there's a higher level of, of expectation because they're been, they've been there before. I think that's next year, maybe for them, even though I think some Bears fans will look at it this year that they should win 10 games. I think my, my, my floor for the Bears win total is like seven or eight this season because they just won three games last year. You know what I'm saying? So, it's just the truth. And, I mean, I, we, we did, on the Center podcast, we did do totals. And my total got up to 10. But this, that's partially the fandom. But it's also because we, with, with parity in the league, we're looking at those teams now. And we don't know what those teams are going to be at week four and at week 11. You know what I'm saying? So it's easy to look at them and try to surmise from last year what those teams were and say, okay, and some of those teams are going to be worse and some of those teams are going to be better. And that's going to be the same for the Bears on some given Sundays. So I, I, I don't think the pressure's on him yet, but I'll say this. If they only have, let's just say they only get six more victories, they only get six wins. I will be disappointed in Matty Rufus, to be honest with you. Um, it, it, would, it will depend on was Justin healthy, um, I think, or did Justin not take another step, or did your offensive line just fold, or was the fact that you didn't do anything in the trenches on the defensive line just allow teams to just run on you, and then the fact that they can run on you, they exploited the pass also. I think those are the only stipulations where I won't look directly at Matt Eberflus, but if all of those are good and they still don't take a, a miniature step as far as getting perhaps the seven victories, I'll start to look at him. At six, I won't say fire him, but I'll start to, I mean, it's, come on. Cause, cause I think sometimes we don't think about how 
how far down they stripped this to the boats. Okay, you use the Colts, right? You use the Colts. I mean, not the Colts, you use the Cubs, I'm going to say. They use the Cubs. And even when you look at the Cubs, we forget how far, how they, there they stripped it down before it started getting, you know, brought back up. And this wasn't what I'm talking about, Ryan Pose, and I like the fact that he did it. He did not say, I'm going to, you know what? This house right here, they already have a foundation. We'll just, you know, knock this off, but we'll build on the foundation. No, he tore the foundation up because at the end of the day, I believe he wants to say, if win or lose, this was mine compared to I hold I held on to Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn for a season and a half. Uh, I held I held on to Roquan Smith. No, let's get let's get all those players out so we can I can build this up the way that I want to build it up. And looking at it in that lens, even though as a fan, I want it here now. I want microwaved up. I want this team contending. I have to be honest and know they're coming from the basement and. I, if they get to if they get to seven eight wins coming from the basement, I really think they're moving. When you look at the draft capital they have moving forward into next year's draft. So specific to Justin Fields, then how how will you view what development looks like? What will it be about wins and losses? Will it be about statistics? Is the defense still isn't going to be good? So you know maybe he's going to be losing some shootouts, but the numbers might look great. Like what what do you? What are you hopeful for as a self-proclaimed Justin Fields guy that development looks like for him next season? You know, the wins and losses part, he's a quarterback, so some of that that blame will follow him. But if your defense is suspect, just suspect as hell, there's going to be times where if you're in a shootout that you're not going to have the ball at the end of the game. And that's actually wishful thinking. If your defense is bad, it may not even matter if you have the ball because they may be up two scores and you may be able to get one score, but it's not enough time to catch up to that team. I think numbers, um, how many passing TDs he probably has compared to interceptions, I think will help um, just to look at how efficient he is in the passing game. And that doesn't mean that I think this will be his Josh Allen breakout year. I would like it to be close to that year because you do have a much more capable lead receiver and DJ more than you've had in the past. And even just the receiver room in general is a better receiver room than you, you had, you start off with last year, but I think it's going to be with, I hate to say this because it seems just so common. It's going to be with TDs and interceptions. If he's not throwing a lot of picks and let's just say he passes for 25 TDs and he runs for like another seven to 10, man, he took, he jumped. You know, I'm like, if, he, if you're telling me that I get 30-something TDs out of Justin and Justin has, I'll, be, I'll go high, like 10 interceptions, 12 interceptions, <laughs> I, I would say that. And, I mean, that's, that's, that's some interceptions. But, I mean, he, he has to dare the defense. And, and they, I hope Lugetti at times this year compared to last year doesn't put the clamps on the passing game in clear passing situations when they're down like they did last year when it seemed like at times they were hesitant to just go all out and let just let him throw the ball. I don't know if they thought he would ball out or not. Clearly, probably not because they didn't allow him to do it. Um, but I think that's how I'll view Justin it, it, in a way, and it, it doesn't sound right, but the numbers mean a lot, and then I'll probably look at winning losses after his numbers. All right, before I let you run, man, you got to let me know what's going on the grill this weekend. All right, so the thought was would we, would, we, would, we, would I do ribs or would I just purchase ribs? Of course, there's going to be chicken. Um, there's going to be burgers. What's the grilling without hot dogs? Sometimes I, I throw a little lamb on there. Um, lamb, okay. Oh, yeah, you got to throw a little <laughs> lamb on there. All right, and seafood-wise, 
you know, like the problem with me and grilling, like once I crack the grill open, I want to clear out the refrigerator. Uh, but okay. yeah, so it gets, but I've grown better to like, dude, just stop. You know, I'll be out there in the dark, <laughs> right? <laughs> so like, it's like, it's time to come in the house. Uh, I may throw some shrimp on there. That'd be, I'm, I'm trying to stop doing too much when I grill. Like on like a skewer or how do you do the shrimp? Oh, definitely on a skewer. Definitely okay. on a skewer. Definitely yeah. on a skewer. You know what I'm saying? I'll try to look for some new recipe that I haven't tried to base them with something that I haven't probably done before. You know what I'm saying? Just, just to try something different, probably. Charcoal, propane, smoker. Like what, what kind okay. of grill are you using? Okay, okay. I have a nice... <laughs> I look I, I I have a nice propane grill, but it's just not my thing. I'm a charcoal guy. Ah, and I gotta, there we go. I got a smoker I still need to use, but I'm a charcoal <laughs> I do. It's been in my garage for like three years. Um I'm I'm a charcoal guy, man, so I'm gonna do everything on the charcoal because I, I that's my baby. I know how to do that. You know, mm. sometimes the problem with me and propane is it's damn near too efficient. Ah, you know, yeah. it's damn near too. It, I need the time for the smoke to really get in there. It's like, nah, it's it, just the juices. So I'm a charcoal guy, Anthony, man. That's how I get down. I respect that. I'm the same way. From one dinosaur to another, enjoy your carnivorous <laughs> weekend, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate you, Anthony. You have a terrific weekend. All right. That is Kenneth Davis, a host of the Under Center podcast for NBC Sports Chicago. You can find him on Twitter at That's Davis. You know what? There's a, a team in our midst here who's trying to win it all, man, trying to hoist the trophy and are on the precipice, on the doorstep of making that happen. I'll tell you exactly who I'm talking about on the other side of a timeout here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Western erases a 4-2 deficit and wins it comfortably. 15-7. The Wildcats moving on to the national championship. That's how it sounded on ESPN. I thank you then for that sound as the Northwestern women's lacrosse team just a few short hours ago won their semifinal matchup in the Final Four and have now qualified for the national championship game. You didn't realize that you had one of the great sports programs in the country right here in your midst, did you? I mean, you know, sure, we see what's happening at the professional level sometimes right here in the city of Chicago. We know that Northwestern brands themselves as Chicago's Big Ten team. Northwestern football, up and down at times. Northwestern basketball, just coming off an NCAA tournament berth on the men's side and getting a dub. It's only the second time that Chris Collins, that the entire program in his history has ever made the NCAA tournament, let alone winning a game. Now, Northwestern softball, led by Kate Drohan, they may have something to say about that. 
They're on the road in Tuscaloosa, taking on Lawrence's alma mater, Alabama Crimson Tide. We'll see what Northwestern is able to do this weekend and see if their softball team can advance beyond the Super Regionals. But there's a program in Evanston at Northwestern with a coach named Kelly Amante Hiller who's already a Hall of Famer as both a lacrosse player, multi-time National Player of the Year during her playing career, and also a Hall of Famer as a coach. She's won seven national championships as a coach. Now, Northwestern hasn't won a national championship since 2012. So they have now, as they've been in the Final Four three out of the last four years, but now they won their semifinal game today against Denver, and now they've qualified to make the national championship game, and they're making that appearance against Boston College. Now there was an opportunity for Northwestern to potentially face the one team who's defeated them this season. The season opening game that Northwestern played was against Syracuse. Syracuse beat Northwestern in the first game of the year. Northwestern had multiple players who were out with injury. One player who was just returning from injury in Izzy Skane, who's quite possibly, and I would say likely going to win the Tawaratan Trophy which is for the, the College Lacrosse Player of the Year. It's the second time Izzy Skane has been a finalist for the Tawaratan, uh, and actually one of her teammates, Aaron Korkendall, is actually a finalist as well. So two out of the four finalists, four or five, but two of the finalists are, are Northwestern women's lacrosse players. But Izzy Skane, one of the leading scorers in program history, like I mentioned, second time she's been a finalist for the Tawaratan. I think she's most likely going to win it. But for Northwestern as a program, for Kelly Amante Hiller as a coach, this is now them getting back to to where folks were accustomed to to them getting. And as a as a program, it's, it's really cool for them. I mentioned Izzy Skane and, and what she's done as one of the all time greats. And you know, for her to potentially get Northwestern their first national title in over a decade, it'd be a really nice capper to her career and they've got a number of players who now that they've won 20 games in a row since that season opening loss that they had to Syracuse a lot of that leadership is because of of Izzy Skane and Aaron Koikendall and their their goalkeeper uh, Molly Liberty, who you know was was a transfer who transferred into the program from a, a previous institution and you know, they've, they've got a lot that have come together, that have coalesced, that are now commanding a stage that they've been near together before. But a lot of this experience that they have is kind of showing up. And they were trailing early in the game today. They were down 4-2 to two, uh, at the end of the first quarter. And then they ended up going on to, to win and securing a berth in the national championship game. So they'll take on Boston College on Sunday. So, uh, you know, certainly good luck to Kelly Amante Hiller, one of the all-time great coaches, after being one of the all-time great players. You know, it's, it's interesting. Northwestern has a, a tendency to be able to set that up because you can certainly uh, think to the football program and Pat Fitzgerald and, and what he's accomplished as 
maybe the greatest football player in Northwestern football history, and a lot of folks would argue the greatest coach in Northwestern football history perhaps as well. Um, you know, you've got to factor in modern times to to how that is all, you know, sort of uh, quantified, you know, not necessarily having a Big Ten championship of recent vintage since the Big Ten championship game was invented. But you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I want to focus on some of these spring sports at Northwestern with the opportunity that's there. And, you know, speaking of opportunity, I did reference Northwestern softball and what they're going to get into this weekend because, you know, they, they've, got, they've got quite a test, quite a task in front of Kate Drohan as they go on the road this weekend. Northwestern softball, the thought going into Selection Sunday two weeks ago was that Northwestern was going to have an opportunity to actually to host, not only to be one of the top eight seeds and host not only the regional like they did in the first round, but if you're a top eight seed, then that means you could host the second weekend as well, the super regional that's coming up here. What ended up happening was Alabama got overseeded. So Alabama got a number five seed for whatever reason. They're a good team this season. They're not a, a team who put the type of resume together that seemed like they should have earned a top five seed, but they did. So they get to host this super regional. Regional Northwestern goes on the road. They've got a pitcher in Danielle Williams, who's a lefty with an outstanding changeup. So she's going to take that on the road and try to lead Northwestern. And Kate Drohan has done an effective job where Danielle Williams has been a player who's a pitcher who's helped lead Northwestern softball. They've got a handful of players who've all been together for a number of years and have continued to. This is the second year in a row they've made the Super Regionals, and they've kind of done this over and over again. They've hosted in back-to-back years. They were able to continue to advance deeper and deeper uh, to the College World Series last year, but a lot of folks thought they wouldn't be on the road this round with the regular season that they put together, but here they are. They ended up getting a 12 seed, and now we're going to see Northwestern in hostile territory. Tuscaloosa, you know, for all that they do in football, and now they just up and decided they were going to have a good basketball program as well. Their softball program is, is also exceptional, one of the great atmospheres in collegiate softball. So if you get an opportunity and you're just curious about local teams here in Northwestern, of course, right up the road in Evanston, the spring sports for Northwestern, frankly, what Derek Gregg has been able to continue leading after you know Jim Phillips leaves Northwestern, he goes on to be the ACC commissioner, and he's got his hands full with the ACC conference right now. But Derek Gregg really doing exceptional work in leading Northwestern athletics in the, the few years that he's been the AD. And that's not only evidenced by what happens with the fall sports, but you're looking at the winter sports and, and basketball with the men's basketball team and Chris Collins able to put together and, you know, field hockey, an exceptional program there as well for a fall sport. But now also you're looking at these spring sports and what lacrosse and softball are doing. I'm sure a lot of you aren't necessarily paying close attention to it, but at least wanted to make you aware of it. And especially as I'm having conversations about Memorial Day, what people are doing, what they're putting on the grill and all those types of things. You got a team that's right up the road in Northwestern, both their softball and their women's lacrosse team that are in pursuit of national championships. They're worthy of some of your time and attention uh, to pay to them as well. So go ahead and, and check that out. Northwestern actually in competition against Alabama at the moment. Uh, with a lead as that game is going on here. So I'm going to take my final time out of the evening, come back, give you a little bit more Scotty Pippen sound as we close things out. Read some of your texts that you've been sending me on the text line as well as I've been reacting to 
Scotty Pippen on the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast as we prepare to close out this Friday edition of Big Ten, or not Big Ten Radio. I talked a bunch of Big Ten. I almost called it Big Ten Radio of Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. LeBron will be the greatest statistical guy to ever play the game of basketball. And there's no comparison to him. None. So, does that make him the greatest player to ever play the game? I'll leave that out for debating because I don't believe that there's a great player because our game is a team game and one player can't do it. Like, I seen Michael Jordan play before I came to play with the Bulls. You guys seen him play. He's a horrible player. He was horrible to play with. He was all one-on-one. He's shooting bad shots. And all of a sudden, we become a team and we start winning. Everybody forgot who he was. That is the voice of Basketball Hall of Famer Scotty Pippen on the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacey King and Mark Janowski. The very wide-ranging interview that they did with Pip covered a bunch of different top- topics, but of course the most noteworthy, the most aggregated of those topics were when he was addressing Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, his perception of of his relationship with them and what he felt was perhaps misconceived, misconstrued, misdiagnosed about the the last dance as a docu series. I found it to be thoroughly entertaining. I enjoyed every moment of it. And there has been some reaction pouring in on the text line as well. The text zone brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time and shop online at, at Rosen Hyundai dot com um, well actually some of the reaction has been about uh, charcoal and grilling and whatnot but specific to the scotty pippen topic the 815 mentions didn't jordan say that pippen was the best teammate he ever had and gave a lot of credit to scotty during the documentary yes 815 texter he certainly did reference that i was talking about that a little bit earlier in the show it wasn't like everything that mike said was was super negative about scotty Frankly, a lot of what Mike said was complimentary of Scotty. He also did kind of air some things out there that I would imagine Scotty took some issue with. But again, just like where I was referencing how Stacey King was, you know, kind of going back and forth with a few folks on Twitter, uh, trying to figure out, well, why didn't he, you know, why didn't he kind of go back at Scotty or push back about certain things that Scotty said? It's one thing. If, if someone is giving their opinion on certain topics, it's another thing if someone is being factually inaccurate in, in the midst of an interview. I think that's kind of two different things there. And you know, for, for Michael, if Michael's just making stuff up, that's one thing. But if he's giving his perception on what he felt like about Scotty with the injury or Scotty not coming back into a game when he wasn't even a part of the team, that's one thing. It's another, you know, if he's out there just saying things that aren't true. And I think a lot of, I mean, you know, we saw it in documentary style. I don't necessarily think there's anything that I left the last dance feeling like people were being untruthful about, but Scotty did seem to take a lot of issue with the, the perception, the way he was perceived and the way that, you know, just like you hear folks on reality TV shows, you know, whether it's dating shows or some of these competition shows like survivor and whatnot, where they say, man, you, you know, folks get in a, in an edit bay and they start, you know, splicing some film together, and they can kind of make you look like anything. And that's my 
my impression of of how Scotty feels like the last dance kind of came off in a way and, and hearing the reaction from from Michael Jordan um, in some of the confessionals for his opinion of what went down with Scotty that Scotty took exception to. Uh, the 217 texter says, uh, I don't care what Scotty has to say about other players being selfish. He sat out on the team in the playoffs because he didn't get the shot, then doubled down and said he'd do it again. I understand taking issue with that. I certainly did, certainly do. Thought it was a, a foul move on Scotty's part because Tony was getting the shot. He sat down. Now, that being said, you know, Scotty isn't Mike. Scotty isn't the offensive player. Scotty isn't the alpha personnel that Michael Jordan is, was, ever will be. So I, I can't even really imagine a scenario where Michael Jordan wouldn't have gotten the shot, wouldn't have demanded the shot, and, and wouldn't have taken the shot, even if the coach happened to draw up a different play. But Mike, even back, if you've seen the movie Air, even going back to his freshman year at North Carolina with all these other future NBA greats and current collegiate greats on the team, Mike was the guy that Dean Smith drew up the play for to get him that shot. Mike has always been the guy who's gotten that shot. But if for some reason Doug Collins drew up a play for somebody else against the Cleveland Cavaliers and it wasn't Mike darting over towards the sideline to catch the rock and then floating up over Craig Elo, suspending time and space and reality and then hitting that game winner against the Cavaliers, if Doug Collins would have drawn that up for somebody else, could I have seen Mike throwing a fit, maybe having some kind of tantrum or, you know, or, or maybe snatching Doug Collins up by the collar? Uh, you know, I could have seen Mike have maybe an out-of-body experience there. Scotty displayed his disappointment by sitting down, and, and you never want to be in that scenario. You don't want to be the guy who just leaves your team hanging by not participating in that moment. So there's no doubt. Some of the unflattering things within the documentary are things that Scotty completely and 100% brought on himself. It's, it's factual, it's documented, it's out there for people to see. So there's no doubt about that. But I do want to give you a chance to hear a little bit more from Scotty as well before we get out of here tonight. So we ran through some of the sound a little bit earlier. There's one point where I, I was struck, and frankly, even uh, Stacy himself sounded a little bit surprised as Scotty was talking about Phil Jackson and not only even their current relationship, but Scotty went into kind of describing that really historically he and Phil Jackson have never really had a close bond. You know, you play for the guy. What's your relationship now with, with Phil? Oh man. Uh, we don't have much of a relationship, you know, uh, I haven't talked to Phil since my playing days. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think being out on the West Coast, competing against the Lakers, you know, back in the early 2000s, um, it it got a little bit sour there. It was a little competitive, the Portland and Lakers thing. So our relationship, but, you know, our men feel relationship has never been strong, you know. Um, I respect his coaching. Uh, he's great at what he do, but um, he's just a different kind of guy. And I just never uh, felt away from the game that uh, 
he was in my corner. That's interesting. It's unfortunate. You know, you would hope, I would certainly hope, as someone who grew up taking so much joy from the the growth, the maturation of the Chicago Bulls, when they lost to the D- Detroit Pistons in in the 1990 playoffs in, in Game 7, it's the only time as a fan I, I can ever remember crying about the results of a game, of a sporting event. I was so upset that the Bulls lost to the Pistons in Game 7, I, I just had to go for a walk. I left the house in tears and just went for a walk around the block because I just – I just couldn't handle what I had just seen. I was just so wrapped up in my Bulls fandom. So I, I get that. And there's there's a way that we would prefer to view these teams, these relationships, because of what they meant to us. So, man, I would really prefer that Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen all got along, I'm sure, there's Lakers fans that, that would have preferred. Now, Lakers fans, is obviously, is different. L.A. is just a different deal than Chicago or Detroit or Philadelphia or certain, certain spots. You know, L.A. is L.A. But the, the truly super passionate Lakers fans, when Phil Jackson's writing books, dogging Kobe Bryant, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of Lakers fans that, that didn't enjoy that, that would have preferred to just be under the impression that Phil Jackson just had this uber-positive relationship with Kobe that everything was was all, you know, just gumdrops and roses between Phil Jackson and his star players or that Shaq and Kobe always got along perfectly and everything else. But that's that's not how these things tend to operate. That's just not how intense personalities dealing with tense situations, high leverage moments, alphas, you know, type A individuals. A lot of times they don't mesh that well, but it doesn't mean they can't achieve great things. There's no doubt the Chicago Bulls, largely due to Scottie Pippen, achieved a whole lot of great things. It is unfortunate that that things have soured. And there's a couple folks on the text line kind of, you know, referencing and observing that, well, Scottie didn't say this stuff before the last dance. Well, yeah, you know, frankly, before the last dance, I, I think it was a lot easier to just kind of let that lie. But then the last dance comes out. Scottie feels like it's painting him in a more negative and in some ways embarrassing light. So, I believe this is Scotty responding to that. Whenever asked, you know, Scotty's responding about his thoughts on Michael Jordan and other topics related to his time with the Chicago Bulls. My time with you is up for the night. This has been a fun three hours, especially with this Scotty Pippen news out there. This, is, this gets me back in my Bulls fandom mode to be able to react to some of these things that I felt so strongly, so passionately about as a kid. So it's been a great time. It was fun having all the guests on the show as well. My thanks to Tony Andraki, to Nicole Auerbach, and to Kenneth Davis. Also, my guy Tyler Farringle holding down for me on the ones and twos throughout the evening. And, of course, my thanks to you for listening in. Appreciations and salutations. Have an outstanding Memorial Day weekend. Be safe out there. Thank you to all who have served and who continue to do service. This is Anthony Heron. This has been Three Hours with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.